0: Start with habits that you want. Don't pick the shoulds.
1: You're listening to The Elevate Podcast and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to The Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Aristotle. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. To be fair, I think that quote has possibly been attributed to a lot of different people, but we'll go with Aristotle for today. (laughs) Uh, My guest today is BJ Fogg. Uh, He is one of the world's top experts on habits. He's a behavior scientist and the founder and director of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything which introduces readers to his breakthrough method for creating lasting behavior change. As a sought-after speaker and consultant, BJ has helped thousands of people transform their lives through habit formation. BJ, welcome to the Elevate Podcast.
0: Robert, I am super happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So I always find it interesting to kind of start early on, rewind the tape a little bit. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about childhood and how any early experiences might have influenced your interest in Habit formation and behavior Uh, change? uh,
0: uh, Yeah, and and I do think there's a connection. Um, I grew up in a Mormon household in California, in Fresno. And Mormonism is a lot about optimizing yourself so you can serve others and, and so on better. In Boy Scouts, which was part of the program, Eagle Scout, worked really hard in school. My dad would sit me down. And my siblings, that come from a big family, like once a year and say, what are your goals for this year? And Steve Covey, who also comes yeah. from a Mormon yeah. background, was a big thing. And it was just part of my life growing up to the point where I got pretty tired of it. One year to my dad, he says, like, what's your goals? And it's like, dad, and this is like in his big office, you know, like kind of this yeah. formal meeting. Dad, my <laughs> only goal this year is to have no goals <laughs> because I was just exhausted. with. How, how old were you? That? I was probably 15 at that point. I mean, but you just grow up and it's all around you. So for me, looking at how to optimize your life and change your behavior as a way to do that, I just grew up in a culture that was a lot about that. yeah. And so fast forward, uh, when I was a graduate student, that really became more interesting to me. And I decided to do that more you know, academically, like take that on. And it just felt like a natural extension of how I'd been raised. Um, now I'm no longer an active Mormon and so on, but I think the, that training and that early, (laughs) uh, indoctrination in those kinds of things has certainly stuck with me. Well,
1: I'm curious. So was there a doctrine of habit in that? Or was it like, Hey, figure out the goals or was it like the way you get to goals is you do little things and habits or
0: what, what did you remember sort of being? Definitely not the concept of tiny habits. Definitely not. It was more. I mean, within the Mormon culture, no smoking, no drinking, no coffee. In our home, it was like no caffeinated soda. So there was a lot of restrictions. Yeah. Get up every morning and go to the church. Like it felt like five in the morning for this thing called seminary. It was really based a lot on discipline and willpower and peer pressure. Okay. Yeah. So the motivational approaches to get you to do behaviors or not do behaviors. But there is a social system and a lot of peer pressure. And if you don't conform, you get ostracized in some ways, whether it's formally or informally. So there's a lot of that going on uh, for better, or for worse, I think mostly for worse.
1: So you got a PhD from Stanford. Were you planning to focus on habit with your research or, or something? Did you start in one place and then it kind of led you to another?
0: Yeah, I went to Stanford to do research, and this would be 1993. So I was 1991, 92. I was like, man. And it was actually reading Aristotle. So it was, it's great you'd start off with that quote. I was living in France. Although, as I said, that quote is, is
1: I actually have found as, as I publish books, and maybe you've seen this, Where I send them to my editor, people research it. Like 60% of quotes are like misattributed (laughs) Um, or people aren't totally sure who said it first or what said it, but we'll go with Aristotle.
0: Well, Aristotle (laughs) though was a big, big influence on me. And so when I was living in France, I decided to not interact with any English speakers because I was there to learn French and immerse myself. So I would read a lot in French as well when I couldn't speak to people. And I read these little short, they're basically cliff notes. Uh, and I read as much as I could at Aristotle. And that's really, um, he has a book called Rhetoric, and I read it in, in French. And in reading it, I guess, in a more deliberate way, and having to go slower and really think about it, it was there in France, where he's talking about, you know, persuasion, basically, and what are the different ways and modes of influencing I was like, this is going to come to computers and technology. I grew up in a very tech-forward home. My dad built his own computer, soldering the chips in before you could get one and so on. Wow. And other things. We got a microwave. Was he an engineer, else.
1: by the way, or no?
0: No, ophthalmologist. <laughs> no. But it turns out that ophthalmologists are gadget freaks. So my dad fit that pattern. And so it, that combination of here we have technology, personal computing, and here are these ways of influencing. This is going to overlap. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do for my PhD. So I went to Stanford. Basically, that was my pitch to the program. And I thought people had already done work in that field, but it turns out they hadn't. And so I was able to then formulate systematic scientific research with true laboratory experiments to show the impact that computers could have on our attitudes and our behaviors, and at the time, people thought they were wacky experiments, and why would it matter? And computers will never do this. Yeah, today that must seem very prescient, you know. With well, AI. Yeah. yeah, but but it was Robert. It was frustrating back then because people were either dismissive of my work, or they thought the data was flawed, or they're like, "No, oh, this is insane." And I was like, "No, this is absolutely coming, people. We need to get ready for this." For better or for worse, this is coming. So I, I really do think my background got me interested. I was also a Mormon missionary in Peru for two years, you know, which is all about persuading people.
1: Yeah,
0: um, that was when I was nineteen and twenty. So then, studying the potentials and pitfalls of what technology could do in terms of influencing people was a really good fit for me. And the more I got into it, <laughs> the more know really of two views of this could be used for good things and a lot of my work and then later my lab was like how do we use this for good but also warning and trying to highlight the downsides and the dangers of it which at the time people just frankly weren't listening and responding I thought my 2000 my book came out in 2002 on persuasive technology where yeah. I say here's the potential here's what's going to happen here's what's good about it, here's what's bad about it. And despite what the media says, like, oh, it became a handbook for Silicon Valley, not true. It was like a big yawn, like nobody <laughs> <big> cared <laughs> until, you know, 2014 or 15, you know, 15 years later, people were like, oh, this matters. Yeah. And, but then my work had moved on. So in 2010, we shifted at Stanford in my lab away from persuasive technology. To look at human behavior more generally and habits specifically, leaving the technology piece behind. Because I felt like we'd done what we needed to do there. Yeah. We showed what could happen. We were just too early. Yeah. <laughs> Frustratingly, <laughs> yes. So, so that's what got me into um, habits and behavior change. And it is super fun because, and I think we're going to talk about this, the uh, the behavior model is a breakthrough understanding of habits. And that came up for me in 2007. That was actually my next question. So
1: in Tiny Habits, you talked about the fog behavior model. Can you explain the the three components of that and how they interact to create habits?
0: Yeah, the pieces of the puzzle came to me over time, but the final piece landed in 2007, where all human behavior, I'll be dramatic here, all human (laughs) behavior and all cultures for all ages comes down to a behavior happens when there's motivation to do the behavior yeah, ability to the behavior, and a prompt. That's it. Those three things. Motivation, ability, prompt. Those are the components. Is there an order? Oh, that's <laughs> such a great question. Well, let me start with this. First, all have to be present for it to yeah. happen. So if you remove any one of those, it will not happen. Motivation, ability, prompt. So map, okay. Motivation, ability, prompt. So prompt is the the reminder or anything that says do this map yeah, what it provoke we could go on and on about the order because there's different ways to look at it. Um, they all matter, yeah. the prompt would seem to be the switch, right? A little bit, yeah. the prompt is just like, you know, do it now. And okay. if you have sufficient motivation and ability, you will do it. If you're lacking any one of those or both, you won't do it or you can't do it. And it just at first, I mean, I, I thought it was an interesting puzzle to have solved. And I knew it was uh, something that hadn't been solved in that way before, but I didn't realize in 2007 the real implications of it. It's, it is it um, is the building block of all my other work and other people's work and so on. Right. I mean, it really is that simple.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. to post your job for free terms and conditions apply so yeah what i what i think is interesting about that if i think about back to your origin story and parents and kids and habits right the parent is definitely the prompt but there's <laughs> things that parents want their kids to do where they may not have the motivation or the ability right but the prompt is certainly
0: there certainly with parents but also but also in the culture i grew up with the uh the leaders of the Mormon Church, they give like these big talks twice a year. And one of the leaders would share this story, like they want you to pray twice a day, pray in the morning, pray at night. And the story, and I don't know where it comes from, but it always gets laughed in a talk, is, you know, get a prayer rock, put it on your pillow. So if you go to bed at night without praying, your, your head hits the rock, that will remind you to pray, then put it on the floor, And so when you get up in the morning, you stub your toe, that will remind you to pray in the morning. So notice the pieces are there, right? So that's kind of a, I don't think they're seriously suggesting that, but the rock is the prompt. It's the reminder to do the prayer. And and in other, other types of things, it's all about making the behavior easier to do. And in other things, it's about motivation. So When you're trying to get a behavior to happen that's not happening, if you know which item is missing, that's what you design for. And you always troubleshoot by saying, is there a prompt for this behavior? If not, you make sure there's a prompt. So I'm getting into one of the order answers. Yeah. I just put my
1: floss next to my toothbrush. And I know that's kind of the habit stacking thing too, because I realized like, I just forget it otherwise. Like, so eventually, right. It becomes automatic, like brushing teeth, I mean, not for one of my kids, but it's just this automatic thing that's uh, that I don't even have to think about. So if I can hook other things into that, then that's that's sort of a positive
0: cycle, right? Yeah, and and putting your floss out on the counter and mine is too, right there. It not only reminds you, but it makes it easier to do. Okay, so you're doing right. both things at once. Now, if you don't want to floss, if floss is painful or it makes you bleed, hide the floss. Then yeah. your motivation will be zero, and <laughs> you'll see it It's like I'm not flossing. But for those of us that want to floss, even a little bit, if the floss is there and you see it, and, and in fact, in some cases, I've had people tear off the floss in advance and tape it to their mirror <laughs> to make it even easier, right? Well, I've I've heard put the running shoes
1: and shorts and stuff like at your bed, right? Yeah. Right when you get out. So yeah. is that a prompt and increasing motivation? Yes. Or Is that?
0: And, and yes. And when you do both at once with a physical object uh in my lab we've named that that's called staging so you can stage it by using a physical object to be both your prompt and make it easier to do in other words increase your ability
1: but the inference in that case is that i want to exercise right i have the motivation i just forget
0: or i'm lazy yeah.
1: or I take some time and then the motivation wanes right do yeah. we have these points of higher motivation and then if you don't have the other pieces the motivation wanes
0: yes and that concept which is so familiar to all of us motivation going up and down surprisingly the academic research on that is very slim and maybe even more surprisingly in the english language we didn't have a term to describe it so a little while ago probably 10 years ago i named it i call it the motivation wave so for any given behavior like running every day or flossing our motivation goes up and down it's called the motivation wave the waves can be big or small, and the higher your motivation, the bigger the wave, the harder the behavior you can do. But when the motivation drops to a ripple or it's totally flat, the easier the behavior has to do. So there is a relationship between level of motivation and the difficulty of the behavior or habit that you do. So Dan Pink wrote a
1: little bit about this in his book, uh, when uh, around sort of time markers, I'm curious whether you think they're motivation or prompts, but I've always found it fascinating. So I I used to work in a company that was connected to a gold's gym and I couldn't park for the first three weeks of (laughs) January every year. And then by the third week of January, like everyone's gone. So what, what, what is the power and fallacy of the new year's resolution and do do we get motivated around these time things like yes. you know I've, I've also heard you know you turn 30 you turn 40 yes like, are these changes in motivation basically
0: yeah and and the power of it is at least with new year's new year's new you is at least culturally people are thinking about self-improvement so there's a one right. time a year at least that everybody's thinking about this and that's good the problem and not only the problem the the way it sets us back is the way people try to design for behavior change is wrongheaded. It's they're pulling on the old notions. Uh, they're picking things that are too big or they're doing things that are too abstract. Like I want to be fit. That's just an abstraction. It's not a behavior. Yeah. And they're relying a lot on willpower rather than designing the behavior into their life. In other words, make it easy to do, make sure there's a prompt. And the, the problem with that is people try to change and they fail. They try to change next year and they fail. And then they start attributing to themselves. I'm the person who can't change. I'm the kind of person who can't follow through, which is too bad because that's not the case. They just didn't use the best way to change their behavior, but then they're blaming themselves and really closing off possibilities in the future where they really could transform their lives.
1: Well, you said, I was actually going to ask you this. You said about willpower. I'm fascinated about uh, this could go. We have so many directions on this. Willpower and habits, because uh, willpower seems like it's consumable, and if you require yourself to use a lot of it all the time, it, it becomes harder, right? I think the example I heard is if you don't want to drink, but you have a group of friends that are big drinkers and they go out to the bar four days a week, like you're putting yourself in a situation that's really hard yeah. to to not drink, right? So, how, how much does environment? play in this and willpower and otherwise
0: massive massive so the the best way so i'm teaching a new class at stanford and i shared this yesterday i mean there's 15 ways behaviors can change i have a model for that
2: thank you aristotle
0: for inspiring me to come up with taxonomies i mean that's one thing that i loved about like everything you can like the most abstract thing you could put into a taxonomy or framework and i've done a lot of that directly inspired by aristotle so if you're talking about lasting change, which is one type of change and the change that most people are concerned with, there really are only two approaches. There's a third approach that people try and it's like, I'm going to have an epiphany and that epiphany is going to make me change or I'm going to have my spouse or my employees have these epiphanies. You know, We're going to show them stats. or Well, epiphany could be like a heart attack. like yeah. That can
1: make you want to change your health, right? But that does
0: not reliably <laughs> change patients' behavior, sadly enough. And it actually was a heart surgeon at Stanford. It's it's great to use that example that years ago, for whatever reason, he walked up to me and said, you know, I have these patients and they have to take this medication or they will die. And a full third of them do not take the medication knowing they're going to die. So it will help some people get going, but it doesn't guarantee they change their behavior in long term. So epiphany, designing epiphanies for others does not work. Epiphanies do happen but we can't design them for ourselves another so what works is redesigning your environment yeah. to make the behaviors you want easy to do and the behaviors don't want hard to do so environment design is one way to create lasting change and the other is Take to, a TV out of your room if you don't want to yeah, watch TV. Yeah, TV right. out of the room. In our home, it's ice cream. No ice cream in the home because I'm going to end up eating it all because I love it. Biggest
1: one, I think everyone needs a new cell phone out of the bedroom, right? Plug it yeah, in out of the bedroom. huge fan
0: of that. Put that out of the bedroom. And you usually do this during a motivation wave. When your motivation is high, you can do hard things and that means redesign your environment. I've got dumbbells right there. I have a way to uh, stretch my calves right there. I have two yoga mats right there in the garage it goes on and on and on because i want to be physically active and the other way and they work hand in hand One's redesign your environment the other way is the tiny habits method so to create habits in this certain way where the habits are easy to form and they endure and they work hand in hand like putting the floss out is a step in flossing every day. So the, what you did there to redesign your environment- Stretching
1: while your coffee's brewing, right? Like
0: yep. yeah, Yep. So those are the two things that work, and they work together. I have a little model for how they work together. But you have to do both in order to create lasting change. You can just tough it out, like on an eating, if you change your eating game plan and you're just using willpower all the time and you still have you know, pizza and pop and popcorn and chips in your home, you can tough it out for a while. But if you don't redesign your environment get rid of those things, you will eventually cave on those things.
1: And that's, I think, yeah, something people don't appreciate. I mean, one of the things I've written about is kind of core values and, and, and deciding on those and something I call the big three, which is your choice of vocation, your partner, and the community that you want to live in. And if you make those decisions outside of your values, it's really hard for those things to work. I think a lot about the community a lot, right? I, I live in Boston, as we talked about. We spend some time out in Park City. I can run here. I can do all kinds of stuff here. Like, it's not like anything. But when I am out there and it's 7 o'clock on a day and I go out there and all the 70-year-olds are running down the street and biking yeah. and hiking, Like that, that, that environment is generally more predisposed to that activity. And then we end up doing it more when we're there.
0: Right on, you know, and and those three are ways to think about your environment. I mean, there's more too. It's like the objects around you. but those right. three things are often overlooked. community, your life partner, your location. if you can. I mean, it's kind of a luxury I have, and it sounds like you have. It's like, okay, let me live where it's going to have. The where it's going to be easy to do the behaviors I want,
1: right, Where it's congruous, because if it's yeah, incongruous, exactly. it seems like it'd be really hard, right? Yeah. Like, again, to the you you live in a a community that, again, go back to drink just you know, bar and and that's something you want to do, then great. Something you don't want to do seems like it would be hard, like just a yeah. lot
0: harder, really tough. I mean, if somebody's in that, there's a lot of complexity to yeah. uh, challenge with drinking, but I mean, if you identify as I'm the person who never drinks, let's say you've been raised Mormon, you never drink, then it's easier. You, you can yeah. be with people who are drinking and there's zero temptation. Right. In part, because your friends know not to say just one drink, they will be insulting you. So right. there is a way to do that, but I wouldn't call it plan A.
1: Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. So most people, right? New habit formation. This is the hardest thing. They struggle, easy to start, hard to maintain. Like wh- what are your best practices and worst practices for new habit formation? And I I'll ask the question, but I'll make an observation. It seems like the more grandiose, as you said, the thing that someone says they're gonna do, the least the least chance of success versus they talk about maybe the the few things that they want to start working on towards it.
0: Yeah. It's not as complicated or as hard as most people think. And that was the breakthrough in the tiny habits method. It happened for me in 2010. And then I started teaching it hundreds of people a week in 2011 and coaching and coaching eventually thousands and thousands of people personally through email. I can't cover everything that's in the tiny habits book, but essentially start with habits that you want. Don't pick the shoulds, pick habits that you're like. Notice how in the behavior model, motivation, ability, prompt, pick behaviors you're already motivated to do. Yeah. Now within a domain like fitness, you have hundreds of behaviors to choose from. So pick a fitness behavior that you want to do. Yeah. Next, make it really easy to do. That's the ability component of my model. And there's different ways to make it easy to do. You can shorten the length of the exercise you, or whatever the activity is. You can leave out the gear that you need to do it. You can. I live at least half the year in Maui, which yeah. makes surfing easier to do. I leave the board on my car, et cetera. I never right. schedule over it's, my surfing time.
1: Being in Maui would make surfing easier to do if you want to surf. Yeah, so.
0: way easier to do. And here in California, the water's cold and I'm a wimp and so it's <laughs> it for the cold. And then make sure there's a prompt. Make sure there's something that reminds you. And in the tiny habits hack, you use an existing routine yeah. to be your prompt to do the habit.
1: So what's your prompt to surf?
0: Oh my gosh, it's after I get up and uh have uh I sit there and it's the sun coming up. <laughs> yeah. As soon as it starts getting light, I get in the car cuz I want to be in the water as early as I can be. So it really is um as soon as I sense it's starting to get light, you know, I pack my little bag, I put it in my Honda Element, I drive to where I surf and And it's great. And then there's like six or seven of us that are there all the time and we're really tight friends. So then it's, and this is a key to have a formation. That's a prompt too. Yeah. And that's actually motivation help, right? Yeah, it helps with the motivation, (laughs) but it also helps you feel successful. So as you're working on a habit, forming a habit, it's not repetition that creates the habit. The people that are telling you that are telling you inaccurate things. It's the emotion you feel when you floss that one tooth or take a drink of water or use a new pen or use a new app or surf and have the, a, i did a good job right yeah it's like good for me but other people can celebrate you too like your surfing buddies go man that was awesome or they go "Woo!" you know at least in the morning you don't have lots of people there so so the key then is to pick behaviors you want make it really easy to do and there's a variety of ways, make sure yeah. there's a prompt and then make sure that you feel successful doing that behavior. Cause it's that emotion that I call shine. That's what causes the habit to become automatic.
1: So you talked about kind of uh, like some effective ways to, to celebrate in the daily routine, like, do you have some other good ideas? How, like, what, how, what other like little celebration, like treating yourself to something or a reward no, or I, no,
0: no, everybody, I know people have read that, like, oh, go get an ice cream. No, that's not a celebration. That's an incentive, and that's different. That's extrinsic, than, not intrinsic. Yeah. Right, that's the problem. What What you want to do is cause a feeling of success at the moment you're doing the habit, and if it's a longer habit, like running. Celebrate the start of your run, not the end. Mm. Because what you want is you want the start of the run to be a habit. I got out the door. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be a good for me. It could be a way to go. It could just be an internal smile with practice. And this is what we teach in Tiny Habits, especially with the Tiny Habits coaches, is with practice, you can just on demand cause yourself to feel successful without doing anything. Now, that's Mm. a harder skill, but you can certainly. Give yourself a high five. A thumb. There's a whole, I list a hundred ways in the Tiny Habits book to do this. And it's different for different people. So it's not yeah. like, here's one celebration that everybody should do. I mean, the hands over the arms is kind of a universal one. You see that in sports all the time. Yeah. And if nothing else, it, I mean, some people are really skeptical. And they're like, I don't want to be a cheerleader for myself. All I did was like, take a sip of water. Well, if nothing else, say I did it. Or I did a good job. And you can say it quietly. You can just nod. In other words, just acknowledge that you did the habit as you intended. And that will create some feeling of success and help. The more, the stronger the emotion, the faster the habit will wire in. So if you have really good at feeling, causing yourself to feel successful on demand, you will have superpowers in creating habits.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that kids all yell in sports, like, let's go. Like, But that actually seems like a good one. Like, you get out of the house, you put on your shoes, you yell, let's go. Like, it, it, yeah. it yeah, it ties it in.
0: Yeah. Now, now you can reinforce others. I mean, what you're doing with the emotion to yourself or others is you're basically reinforcing. So, I'm taking a term from yeah. behaviorism. But we know that's true, right? When we're training pets or kids or whatever, to cause them to feel good, either through a little snack or a pat on the head with animals or with kids like way to go whatever so you can help other form habits simply by causing them to feel successful and that comes in many forms but once you know that's the key to habit formation then you can uh figure out how to do that well for yourself and how to do it for your partner your kids your employees and so on
1: and there's some very intuitive things here but again i think we know them but like like, this one seems so obvious to me, but again, I don't think people think of it in the context. But, like, increase the resistance of something that you don't want to do and decrease yep. the resistance of something you, you want to do, right? I, I read something about if the candy jar is, is a certain amount away from you, right? You'll <laughs> eat less candy, like, on your desk. Like, it's like really simple stuff because it's like, oh, I got to get up and go grab a mint, right? Yeah. I've always joked I'm going to re- write an award-winning diet book that says if you don't want to eat it, don't put it in your cabinet.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't let it in the home. Have policies. <laughs> yeah. In our home, it's it's bread and ice cream. We have policies against bread and ice cream, just because. Just through experience. How do you feel about ice
1: cream sandwiches?
0: Not in the home. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean we can't like go get one, but it's not like we'll sit down and watch Netflix and eat all the ice cream. That's what would happen. I mean, that's at the end of the day. You're tapped out. You're tired. You just want to veg, you think, oh, a little bit of ice cream, and that leads to the whole thing. I mean, that's what was going on with us. And so rather than say, oh, we're going to have the willpower to say no to ice cream, there's no ice cream in the home. Then you you don't even like think about it. You're like, oh, there's no ice cream. So what else? Oh, I'll have some plain yogurt, or I'll have olives or something, you know?
1: What are some other sort of increasing or decreasing kind of techniques you've seen be successful?
0: Uh, pick one or the other for me. And if you want to pick an example, I'll go with that. Cause there's just so many directions <laughs> I can go here. What do you think?
1: So exercise.
0: Exercise. Yeah. Well, it is find an exercise or exercises that you like. And if you pick one and you end up like, no, I really don't like biking. Cause I get cold, let it go and pick something else. And so that's part of one of the skills of habit formation is selecting the best habit for you. And then if it's not working, you revise it. So one is make it super easy to do. And at least for me, it's like I have tonal on the wall here. I have, a oh, in, in the garage, the garage is basically like a, a CrossFit gym.
1: Yeah. I've got
0: that cycle that everybody hates. I kind of like, we have the rowing machine, Hydro, which we love. Make it easy to do. When you don't feel like exercising, then just say, eh, I'm just going to do four minutes. Just four minutes on the aerosol bike and i'm done in four easy minutes and guess what happens at two minutes you're still not feeling like exercise at three minutes you're like hey i'm done in a minute what seems to happen to me and i bet other people say at about three and a half minutes you shift from i'm gonna stop to oh, i'm gonna keep going so you can trick yeah. yourself trick
1: yourself into just start
0: so just starting is, is... yeah just start and yeah. tell yourself i'm only gonna do x minutes i mean I got back late from Stanford last night. You no, know, I fixed my own lunch to go and I didn't clean up stuff. And it was all in my sink. I have my own sink in the kitchen. And so I get up this morning and I was like, oh, that sink is a mess. I don't feel like cleaning. And I thought, okay, just take, just, the do yeah. Yeah, just take the glasses and put them in the dishwasher. That's all you have to do. So I did. And I was like, oh, well, then just take the, you know, the silverware. And, you know, so one thing led to another. And pretty soon I'm scrubbing out the sink and it's all shiny. And it's like, I had no intention. cleaning out the sink i tricked myself into it you can trick yourself into stuff by scaling it back just doing a little bit just take the first step and it often leads to taking more
1: i was gonna say i thought you should put a little ice cream fridge in your garage near the exercise (laughs) equipment so that to get that ice cream you had to go through the gym right
0: oh robert (laughs) i i had a serious popcorn addiction and yeah no, know people don't think that's serious, but it was for me.
1: What kind of like microwave, like bad popcorn, oh, air and, pop?
0: Oh, I, I've long been concerned about health. So I would look at every way to make it healthy. But still, I was eating tons of it, just tons mm-hmm. of it. Um, so I put all the popcorn fer- paraphernalia in the attic. Like, okay, I'm making it harder to do. Right.
1: So that's the that's the increasing resistance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But guess what? I'd be sitting there and it's like, I really want popcorn. So I'd climb into the attic, pull it down, make the popcorn, <laughs> eat tons of it wake up in the morning and go that was lame i so regret it so popcorn is banned from so i add to the list <laughs> Bread, ice cream and popcorn banned. and I, I don't even take one bite of popcorn for me it's a slippery slope and well, that's I just, the
1: thing just start or just don't start right yeah, i think zero. i heard a lot of people say you know they decide like again back to drinking or one night they're just not they'd be fine having a drink but they have no drinks because they know that one drink equals three yeah. drinks Um, So don't, don't start or start,
0: right? Exactly. And when when people say moderation in all things, that's not true. People, in some cases, it's not true. It's like zero, zero tolerance in certain things, whether it's popcorn or drinking or whatever. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, you just sort of alluded to this, but how does this work in the inverse on quitting bad habits? Like what are, what are some ways you undo a habit that you want to, you want to remove?
0: There is a simple answer, and then there's the real answer that's more complicated. Okay. Uh, the simple answer is make it harder to do. Like, yeah. make it harder or impossible. And that works some of the time. Didn't work for your popcorn. It did actually work for the popcorn eventually, but I had to make it so hard to do, there was no, no popcorn. you had to go to the pop-
1: store, not the attic. You have to right. go yeah, to yeah. the store, okay.
0: Yeah. The harder answer and the true comprehensive answer is... Stopping unwanted habits is complicated. And there's no one approach for all habits. And people will say things, they'll make these proclamations about it, and they are misleading people. Um, creating habits is relatively straightforward. And we've gone over some aspects of that. Yeah. Creating habits is easy to be, if you do it in a certain way, it's easy. Getting rid of habits and addictions can be very hard. And it's not the same for everybody, and it's not the same for every habit. So it's a very nuanced landscape. And some
1: of them, as so you said, addiction, I mean, some of them are psychological, and some of them are physical and chemical, right? So that that is also a different category.
0: Yeah, and, and, and so there's a range. Some habits are really easy to stop, like going to the gym or things yeah. like that, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum are these addictions where go see, get help from a professional who knows exactly how to help you on that. And then there's a range, you know, there's a huge range. The best short version I can give, other than just saying people, it's complicated. And don't just trust yeah. that people just, you know, use willpower or replace it with another one. That's a trivial answer to a what is a quite a complicated issue at times. The best way to think about it is to untangle a bad habit. So it's not breaking a bad habit. It's not a sudden break. You untangle it. And for many of these habits, like smoking and drinking and unhealthy snacks and social media use, it is a clump of using social media through your day. And I outline a step-by-step process and tiny habits of how to untangle that. And so that's maybe the shortest, most helpful, short thing I can share about it is think of it as you untangle the habit.
1: Right. It seems like you got to change the motivation piece of it. But here, I'll I'll ask you a very specific example, because okay. I think this has become a negative automatic bad habit for people standing in line, have 30 seconds, you have to wait, pick up the phone and check it, right? The pickups wow. like 300, like someone who wanted to unwire the picking up their cell phone all the time, but they have it with them, like, what would be a recommendation of best practice way to do that?
0: Well, the best one was the leave the cell phone in the car. Don't bring yeah, it in. Right. right. That's the best. And that makes some people really insecure and anxious. So, that, Right. And know, then you start having like a, a tick where you're yeah, <laughs> reaching forward. Yeah. And it's not there. So there is a flow chart in my book okay. that where you go through step by step by step. I'm going to work quickly through the flow chart. At the end of the chart is find a diff. So I am going to get to the swap now. So I'm going against what I said. But there's other things you try first. There's other things you try first for Sure. But I'm going quickly through that example, through the flow chart, and it does end up find a different behavior for it. And so in this case, it is a find an alternate behavior that is reasonably uh, satisfying for what you need in that moment. It could be boredom that you're trying to address. And as you do that alternate behavior, celebrate it really hard. It might be just standing on one foot and going back and forth. It might be Looking around the room for everything colored yellow or everything colored green, yeah, something else. But before you decide, you always have to swap in another habit for the bad habit
1: because the stimulus is there. Like the if you're going through the cycle, you need to give the cycle something. Is that sort of the premise?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you basically, what you try to do, and this is a simplification of the flowchart, is number one: can you remove the prompt? for that bad habit and in this case it's an internal urge i'm bored i need to do something. you're not going to be able to remove that but in other cases like snacking on the candy you can remove that prompt okay you can just get rid of it or put it in a drawer number two can you remove the ability to do the behavior now you can do it with the candy maybe with a mobile phone you have quite a complicated password So in order for you to get in, and maybe there's a way to do it in a location setting. If I'm in a store, make it either lock my phone or make it really. So can you make it harder to do? Yeah. And there's different ways to make it harder to do. That's in the flood charts.
1: You just gave me an epiphany because (laughs) I'm like a bad snacker. And when I go by the cabinet, I open it. And when I open it, I end up eating something. And so when I get off a bunch of calls, I tend to kind of like walk through the kitchen and go get my water down there and does that. Like I... I think I just need to not walk through the kitchen, right? Because it starts to, like, <laughs> if I just filled my water. If I put a water thing up here, it, then it stops the, oh, I'll walk by the cabinet. Oh, what's in the cabinet?
0: Like, yep. it,
1: it, I just need to avoid that prompt entirely.
0: Yeah, yeah. And or, or remove from your home anything that's not on your game plan. Like in our home, there's nothing, zero in the home that I would consider a bad snack. And there's all sorts of snacks that are on my game plan. So well, I,
1: I've done that part, but my, I'm wondering like whether I'm not, I might not even be hungry. So just the act yeah. of opening the cabinet may actually start the process when that's not even when it's actually a boredom thing, not a hunger yeah. thing. Right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I hear you. I hear, you, you know, n- nutrition and food is really personal and people get yeah touchy around it. Everybody needs to find their own path. But for us and in our, and it is a household. Okay. This is, we're getting in a little bit different. Um, there are some ha- Types of habits that you really need to change as a household, whether that's with roommates this or the family. environment. Yeah. Yeah. So, how you eat, how you sleep, your social media use or your media use, maybe not social media use, like all of those things are much better done when you change as a household. And so, I get a lot of cooperation in my household. And it's like, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to bring this in. Dah, 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 dah. Not everybody has cooperative household members like that. And then that makes it challenging So then you're going to be tempted by the chips or the soda or the candy. And, and right. that is a true challenge.
1: The least common denominator. Yeah. Yeah. My wife likes M&Ms and she'll put them actually in popcorn. She and my son do this. But just a couple... <laughs> But out of convenience, she'll buy a huge bag of M and M's. And when I see a huge bag of M and M's, like I just take a handful of them. So I'm like, yeah. you can't buy this for me. <laughs> I'm like, not,
0: I know it's for you, but I I see it there. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And once you see it that way, and just understand it's human nature. Yeah. If the M and M's or the candy are in the jar sitting out and visible to me all the time, I and most humans will eventually cave on. If you love it, like if popcorn right. were always sitting out, I would. As good as I am at behavior change, as strong as I think my discipline and willpower is, right. This is the environment piece. Yeah, I'm going to eventually cave, right. Yeah. And so you've got to redesign the environment so you're not tapping into discipline and willpower on a regular basis.
1: Right. If you eat them too much, you, you won't have any left. I, I'm curious too. The other thing that I've I've read a lot about, and I think you talked about, it and some other people have, is this sort of aspect of a foundational habit or a keystone habit. that make, you know, the guy who wrote the book, make your bed. I know exercise, journal writing, it seems like there's some habits that if you do them, they help you improve all your other habits.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, And that's not my concept, but I think it's a really important idea. I think there are two things at play. And then in my work, the one that I suggest to everybody, I call them the Maui habit. And it goes like this. As soon as your feet touch the floor in the morning, when you're getting up, say, it's going to be a great day.
1: Yeah. It's not hard to do in Maui, but yeah.
0: No, (laughs) no. But I decided to name it. I did a TED talk in Maui, and during that TED talk, I said, We're going to name it the Maui habit. And that starts your trajectory to the day in a certain direction. So that definitely helps you. So doing that habit then helps you with the adversity and opportunities you face as as you go along. So that's one way that I believe that works. The next way is let's say you do a little bit of meditation every day, or let's say you do a little bit of at least a little bit of physical activity every day, your identity shifts and you think, I'm the kind of person who meditates or I'm the kind of person who can stick to a routine. And it's that shift in identity. And my research back in 2014 in Tiny Habits showed this happened reliably and quickly. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have to be run a marathon. It would just be feel successful about a habit. And then you shift. I'm the kind of person who eats healthy snacks. I'm the kind of person who gets up the first time my alarm goes off. And that identity can then have these ripple effects and affect other decisions, not habits, but decisions you make later, and also the habits you decide to bring into your life.
1: So just make your bed. That seems to be one of those ones, right?
0: Yeah, that's a brilliant (laughs) one, right? That's like so good. It's a best-selling book, I think, was that. Yeah, I I mean, that's like an example. Yeah, so y'all, if you're not making your bed, (laughs) at least... Just take the duvet or the cover and throw it over it. If you're just going to do it in a tiny sloppy way, that's okay. That's all right. It doesn't have to be like military perfection. Right. But
1: but there is some build, they build on each other, right? They Absolutely. If you're the type of person who makes your bed and you're the type of person that exercises and you're, you're like, you're creating a higher standard almost for yourself.
0: Success leads to success. Change leads to change. It, you've People have heard that before, but it is real. Yeah. Other habits and other things will happen. If you feel successful doing a habit, it will have ripple effects. Um, And you don't even have to explicitly design for those other habits or things to happen. They seem to happen quite naturally because it's consistent with how you view yourself.
1: Yeah. So we have a lot of parents and leaders on this uh, who listen to the show. You know, we're talking a lot about the self. What, What are some of the tactics on... If you want others on your team on your family team or your work team to you know improve habits or help them to do that like it
0: is there different rules that apply when it's someone else they're, they're not different but i can boil it down to two things that sound very familiar and i call them fog maxims these are the overriding <laughs> overriding principles you can set aside oh, i shouldn't say this you can kind of uh, deprioritize other theories and models, and, and focus on these two things if you want lasting change. And if it's referring to others, this is how they're worded: help people do what they already want to do. That's number one. So if it's your spouse, an employee, a child, what do they already want to do, and help them do it? Helping them do it is to like identify. Oh, you really like you know Zumba. And helping them do it is making it easier to do. And helping them do it is to make sure there's a prompt, okay? So help people do what they already want to do. That's the only thing that works in the long term. Trying to get people to do stuff they don't want to do, eh, eh, maybe will work temporarily, but it does not lead to a true habit. Number two, help people feel successful. Not be successful, it's feel. So it's that emotion of shine. And if you do those two things, you're on your way. Those are the two things.
1: So... I, that makes 100% sense to me. There are things that we kind of have to do, right? There are things that are positive outcomes. And if we don't do them, they have negative outcomes. So, for example, yeah. brushing your teeth. Yeah. So, I may or may not have a friend uh, who, <laughs> who has a blowout fight against getting their child to remember to brush their teeth. So, what that to me is one where, like, yeah, I, I don't think anyone loves it, but how do you help someone form a habit where? Obviously, there's the avoidance of not wanting to go get a bunch of cavities drilled, but yeah. there's some things we just sort of have to do. So in those case, those cases, like how could how would you help someone else do that?
0: Yeah. I, I in behavior design in my work, we call that a queen bee. So be is behavior. It's like okay. queen bee behavior. You've got to do this behavior. And yeah. part of you wants to and part of it. And you it's
1: can. not fun and you're not going to like yeah, it. Not right? fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the key there is you can't adjust, you can try to adjust the motivation a little bit, but it really comes down to how do I make this so easy to do? Now, if it is brushing your teeth, get a power toothbrush for sure. And the power toothbrushes, the best ones have this two-minute timer and some have a 30-second timer and so on. You can uh, distract yourself while you're doing it and so on. You could, in this case, offer incentives for like, hey, if you do this three days in a row, here's what you get. So that incentive is increasing motivation. That's normally not how you'd create a habit. You'd pick the habit Work.
1: right you want because you need to i've read a lot on this you you don't want to do incentives in place of intrinsic motivation but this is fundamentally extra yeah
0: yeah if, if there's not a way you can help a person see that brushing my teeth is something i don't already pay
1: your to. kid to score goals in soccer or do those sort yeah. of things but yeah yeah
0: so, so then in that case using um incentives could work but just use that as a last resort you know that's just not and make it it's just like video games. Video games are all about incentives and these prizes and whatever. And they start out really, really easy. Like, don't say, hey, you brush your teeth for 30 days and then I'll you know, buy you uh, the pen that you want. Just make it really easy and then make it level it up and level it up over time. There, Yes, there are behaviors like that. However, over time and maybe not too much time, you know, a child's going to at least recognize at least the social implications of not brushing their teeth. I right. mean, maybe not at a certain age, but as they maybe grow up. Ne-
1: right. Negative motivations of
0: yeah. Yeah. The um the social motivators gets people to do things maybe they don't want to do, like wear right. high heel shoes or put makeup on their face, or, you know, we're motivated by social implications, but maybe, maybe not a four-year-old brushing her teeth or his teeth.
1: I'll let you know what my friend says uh, about how those well, how those work. Yeah. We'll try some of that <laughs> a
0: cute toothbrush. you know, yeah, the flavored toothpaste. I mean, the, the, this is definitely solvable. This is not one of those really are. I mean, it's more challenging than usual. Yeah. but millions and millions have solved this challenge.
1: This is not a new problem, yeah. so, Last question here as we kind of wrap up, I'm always interested, and and this is multivariant. So you could make it personal, professional, or you could make it one time or repeated. But what's a mistake uh, in your life or career that you've made that you've learned the most from?
0: Oh, I've made a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, I like the question because people... You know, look at what I've done or my students and it's like, oh, man, it's just all been like this, you know, perfect pathway. It's like, no, there's been so many twists and turns. Um, Probably the biggest mistake, I did a startup in 2003 that was about asynchronous voice messaging, which we prototyped it and we built software and it worked great. It was like a three-year-old could use it. It was visual. It was really, really a simple way to connect emotionally with other people. That's what it was about. Help people stay connected with people that matter most. Um, the startup was called Yakpack. I raised money for it, which, by the way, is not that hard to raise money. I think if you're passionate about it, investors see that. And then it turns out we were too early from a technology perspective because computers did not have microphones and phones did not have microphones in 2003 and four, at least ones that you could sensing a
1: theme here on too early.
0: Yeah, it was too early and then and that's okay to be too early, but the mistake was even after a year year and a half when we knew we became a microphone installation company not because yeah. it was that I was like man, if I just keep working I it was me persisting and persisting and persisting in the face of evidence that it was not going to work because of these real problems. I couldn't, you know, get computers on microphone, you know. Yeah. So it was uh wasting, maybe not wasting, investing a year, maybe two more years of my life and all that frustration and money. But what came out of that was I was very tuned into what Facebook was doing. And when they launched Facebook platform, I was one of the people that uh my team created an app for that. And that led to the Facebook class that could be, was famous slash infamous, where my students just killed it and became millionaires and stuff. So without the startup, I wouldn't have had that early view and early experience with creating apps and putting it in the Facebook landscape and learning a lot about what to do and not do on startups and new products. So that's that's the benefit. But man, it was painful because I never really failed in that big a way. You know, yeah. we raised $1.6 million. I raised friends and family. and you know, letting them down. It hurt. It really, really hurt. And I just wasn't willing to throw in the towel. And that was painful. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's, a lot of people have had a similar story or going through that now. And it's hard to, you know, when there's a sunk cost too, I know sometimes it can be hard to not keep pouring good money after bad. Yeah, or bad money after good, I think is the appropriate term.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, we only have so many, uh, so many days on this planet, and uh, to take a, I kind of repress the time frame, a year or two, of effort, yeah. mine and my teams that just kind of was wasted and just frustration.
1: Not wasted. You, are, you always use some of it going forward. I would say whatever yeah. mistake was, it saves you hopefully from making a, a, a bigger one in the future.
0: Yeah, and it definitely has and then it helps me coach others when they are definitely learned a lot through that. and 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 definitely and and and
1: All right. Well, BJ, uh, thank you for joining us. I know that your work on habit formation and behavioral change has had a very significant impact on uh, countless numbers of people. So it's been exciting to be able to dig into some of these principles with you.
0: Thank you, Robert. Super fun to talk to you.
1: All right. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to BJ's work on and tiny habits, uh, which you can buy wherever books are sold on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could just take a few minutes or seconds and leave us a review or rating as that's what's helped new users discover the show uh, and learn from great people like we had on today. Um, so you can just log in to your app, uh, check ratings or reviews, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. So thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.